Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guests, I'd like to start by first thanking you for listening in for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to encourage and remind you to send your comments, your suggestions, or any questions that you might have directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That's CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. But also rate the show, comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, heck, you may as well follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provide. The team and I definitely appreciate it. Hopefully we're putting it to good use. Now, let's get this show started. I'm joined today by a veteran real estate investor and RAIN member, Cynthia Asen. This is part of the RAIN member series. And let me begin by taking some time to give you a bit of Cynthia's background. For the past 25 years, Cynthia has been incredibly focused on helping individuals and businesses invest in multifamily real estate in emerging high growth markets. In 2014, she founded Investment Revenue Realty, which is a brokerage focused exclusively on investment real estate. Because of her focus on investment real estate, she, along with her team, have built a really impactful network of professionals who have a very strong track record for maximizing real estate returns and for mitigating risk. As principal or agent, Cynthia and her team have assisted clients in acquiring investment properties in more than 75 different projects valued at over $500 million. That's right, a half a billion dollars throughout Canada and the Western United States. Cynthia invests alongside her clients and really understands the necessity of thorough due diligence and, of course, the power of turnkey solutions and ultimately that results equal returns. Having grown up on a farm in Saskatchewan, Cynthia is definitely not afraid of hard work and it was really early on she began understanding and learning a foundational philosophy which was built on the belief that we have three tradable assets, time, money, knowledge. Today, I'm going to dig into that a little bit more with Cynthia. Once again, a seemingly ordinary everyday woman in this case who has achieved some extraordinary results. So let's get this show started and let's have a chat with Cynthia. Cynthia Asen, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Patrick. Really excited about being on your show. I'm really happy that you're joining me here today and uh Lots to talk about, given who you are, where you've come to in your life, in your business, and uh, your journey to, to get where you are today. And uh, I've had the uh, privilege of working with you certainly a lot closer over the past uh, couple of years and your team. And so that's been enjoyable. So, Cynthia, I have a handle on what you do, but why don't we just do a quick, what's your elevator pitch, if you will, on what you do? When somebody asks Cynthia Asen what you do, what's your response? I help people buy real estate as a part of their financial portfolio. So my goal, and I've done it myself for my family, and uh, over the past 20 years, I've worked with a number of clients. And a lot of clients feel that real estate isn't accessible, or they don't know how to put it into their portfolio, or it takes too much work. And my 
uh, my passion and my real goal for everyone is to use real estate. It's a great wealth builder. So you uh, opened a boutique shop in 2015. And you called it, um, hold it, I've just lost. Investment Revenue Realty. Yeah, Investment Revenue Realty. Now, that's what you're doing today. What were you doing prior to that? Let's. I'm going to work backwards a little bit with you as to how you got to where you are today. Okay, so way back in the day when I graduated from university, my goal was really to get into the stock brokerage industry. And I worked with a bond trader for a number of years and really loved the investment aspect of it. But it was pretty much a male-dominated world, and, and soon I realized I wanted to get into a, an industry that allowed women to, to flourish, and real estate was the one I picked. So early on, I worked on the west side of Vancouver, and I worked with a group, and our focus was absentee owners. So we targeted all the people in the, on the west side that had bought investment real estate through MERBs, uh, through tax shelter investments, and at some point wanted to sell them. And they became our client list. And our goal was to help them be informed on the market and to help them if they wanted to sell or if they wanted to rent it. So we we became the go-to experts. That partnership through just people getting married, moving on, retiring, uh, stopped. And at that, it was about mid-90s. And so I really liked that. I really liked the investment real estate side of it. I didn't want to sell residential real estate, and I really didn't want to go into the commercial uh, real estate world, which was leasing and selling office buildings. So I sort of developed a real passion for identifying uh, good investment properties and then ultimately worked with another group, brokerage, that we focused on helping developers sell investment real estate. And we branched out across Canada and into the U.S. And we put together these whole turnkey solutions for investors to buy real estate that was positive cash flow, uh, buy and hold real estate. Cool. I want to go back to something you said. So you graduated university. So I'm going to keep you back there for a little bit. Did you graduate with a degree? What was your university background? What was university? Commerce. Commerce. Yeah, uh, commerce degree. And uh, um, minor in finance. So you came out of university right away, getting into that world of, you had an entrepreneurial spirit. At least that's my impression based on what you've said so far. So my question for you is, what was your background when you were growing up? Did you have parents that were entrepreneurs? Where did you develop that entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, I grew up in Saskatchewan on a farm. Um, so if there's any risk takers out there, farmers are them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, you know, was a farmer, hedged his commodity prices. My mother was into real estate, sold farmland. And so I grew up with a family that basically created their own income stream. I, I, I didn't know about people that work for big corporations with pensions. That's what I grew up with. And um, I guess just understanding the benefits of doing that, the freedom, the flexibility, the ability to make more when you wanted to or make less when you wanted to take time off. Uh, I was just inbred. So was it uh, a general farm or were you, did you guys specific? Were you a cattle farm, grain farm? Grain, grain. And, and so did you, when you were growing up on the farm, did you, siblings, brothers, sisters? Yes. Uh, older brother at the time. My mom and dad had uh, my brother who is 20 years younger than me later in life. And I really, I, I had left home, but I have two brothers and my older brother and I were a year and a half apart. So yes, my older brother actually went on to become an economist with a large utility company in Ontario and lives in Ottawa. So growing up, were you an an active participant on the farm? Were you one of those farm kids that drove trucks and shoveled grain and fed cattle? And did you do all that kind of, you know, labor intensive work like Uh, farm kids do? We learned young in life before going to school. And I tell my kids this and they laugh. They go, yeah, really, mom, I say, just talk to your grandparents. Um, You know, we got up in the morning, we had to go and, and feed the the cattle or the pigs. We had to get up. We had to be participant in the farming activities. That's pretty common uh, on a farm. Everyone pitched in. Uh, Harvest time was busy. Uh, Seeding time was busy. My dad used to custom combine through the Midwest. So we got out of school early and we were on that team. Um, We were young, so we were kids, but we had jobs to do. You know, it's interesting that uh, many guests that I've interviewed over the past year plus have a background and are is in fact farming. And so it's an interesting, I wouldn't call it a trend, but I do notice that 
in the world of growing up on a farm, there seems to be that entrepreneurial spirit that evolves or emerges at some point. Your parents, you know, you said your mother was into real estate selling uh, farmland out in Saskatchewan and, and your dad was the, he ran the farm, I'm assuming, and, and did a great job of doing that. As you were growing up, were your parents encouraging you to number one, go to school, get your university education? Absolutely. There was not even a question. You were going to school. That wasn't the option is what are you going to take? Um, so they were very, very much, uh, that was, I think for a lot of people in Saskatchewan, at least people that I know and all my relatives, they never had the privilege of having a university education. And so they, they held it in high esteem. They didn't care what you did after. They didn't say you should go work for a large corporation or anything like that. They really just wanted you to get the education. Was your mom encouraging you or your dad encouraging you all the way along to think about what you might want to do for a business? Or was it go to university and then decide what you're going to do when you get out of university? Is that how that formatted for you? Well, my parents might have tried, but I was always pretty much knew that when I would never have let them tell me what to do. I was always a person that said, I'm going to go the path that I feel is the best to go. At the time when I started university, I, I loved the whole business side of everything. I I like knowing about business, how it worked, you know, how to make money. That was kind of my uh, passion in life. So I I knew that at some point I'd end up in a business world, probably pushing some limits. Um, And, you know, I found that out in the brokerage industry very early on um, at, at, you know, in the early eighties, the brokerage industry was, and I'm dating myself, the brokerage industry was male dominated. And there was certainly glass ceilings for women because they knew women were going to go have kids and that, you know, again, that, that really prevented them from moving you up the ladder, so to speak. So when you came out of university and you got into the real estate world, did you immediately go into it to as a realtor or what was your, what was your entry into the game in terms of what you did? I know you, I understand what you focused on in terms of absentee owners, but were you in there as a realtor or what was, what was your role in that game? I, I went in, to the, took the license, but I, I knew I wanted to be mentored because I didn't know the industry well enough. And I wanted to work with a group that, you know, I lined, I felt comfortable with. And that's really, I, I did a lot of interviewing to figure out the people that I wanted to work with long before teams were popular. That was a big part in the brokerage industry that people that did were very successful in getting clients and growing their business. They built teams and everybody in that team had an expertise and a niche that they could talk to very very skillfully. So that was um, my goal when I went into the real estate industry. Let's look and try to develop the same type of uh, approach to working with clients. You, as a female, as you said, were certainly the minority in that industry, I think probably at the time, or at least at the level that you were entering the, the game at. Did that make you more determined or did you bump up against some things? What was it like back when like I say, when you were, rel- I mean, females in that industry, it was it was not the the norm. I was actually really fortunate. Yes, I, I was. That made me even more uh, interested in making it work. But I, I mentored under uh, a bond trader that did, did volumes. Um, older, probably in his early sixties, when I started working for him, and he was a great mentor and very supportive. I actually was into the computer world at that point, trying to automate him. And he had everything on his desk perfectly laid out. You know, he had a system in place. Um, but, you know, in terms of his support, it really gave me credibility in that industry. And I liked working with him. So I learned a lot about why you need a good mentor. And that was, you know, when I realized that I wasn't going to get into mergers and acquisitions, which is what I wanted to do. And they kept overlooking me for other men uh, to take to be promoted. I decided that, you know, I needed to move on. So it wasn't because I didn't love the industry, didn't like what I was doing or wasn't working with supportive people. I I just really needed to grow for me. So is uh, mentorship or having a mentor, is it always been part of your makeup? I know, you know, that probably uh, we'll talk about it. But at this point in your career, you probably I know you do a lot of mentorship. I mean, you support lots of uh, young people getting into the industry and doing what they do. But back then, was that something that you were always looking for with somebody to guide, mentor? So you being very coachable, was that a, a big part of what you understood back then? Absolutely. Eyes wide open. Keep your mind wide open. Um, you don't learn if you're not listening. 
God gave us two ears for a reason and one mouth. And I, I do believe that, you know, my experience with being mentored helped me grow very quickly in my business. So I like to, you know, it's a give back, you know, you understand the power of it. It's, it's amazing. I, I certainly feel that young people today are very capable I think that there's lots of opportunity for them, but even more so because of the complexities, it, it, they need mentorship. So back then when you got into the real estate component of your, your journey and started moving forward in that, how aware do you think you were? I mean, it's all in reflection and we're always smarter you know, in reflection than we were actually in the time. But how aware were you of how you were being, how you were showing up once again as a female in that industry or just as a service provider? What what made you unique back then? How aware do you think you were of of how you were showing up to do to do the job? Were you doing personal development back work back then? Were you professional development? What kind of work were you doing back then? Were you an early adopter of viewing the world differently through a, a set of eyes that said, I, I got to be really paying attention to how I'm showing up? Well, you know, interestingly enough, when I worked with the group early on in my real estate career, the one uh, one of the uh, partners was absolutely into self-help uh, tapes. Every time we got in a car, he'd plug in a tape and we'd listen to it. That He didn't listen to the radio. You know, his advice was you hang out with the people that you know will, bend, will, will grow you as a person as well as in your business. And so I kind of, you know, watched this and watched how successful he was. And it really opened my eyes to, you know, what does that mean overall? And, and, you know, it's kind of the law of attraction. I think people talk about, but it's also what your self-talk, what you get up in the morning and say to yourself is what's going to be the direction of your day. So you can get up in a good mood or you can get up in a bad mood. And typically the day will turn out just based on how you woke up. I used to tell my kids that they'd get up and come downstairs. And if they were in a grumpy mood, I'd say, walk back upstairs, get back into bed, get out of bed, put a smile on your face because you're going to be, have a much better day if you do that. So I've always believed that if you're optimistic, if you're positive and your energy's good, you will have a great day and you will attract the same. And to me, I'd rather live in that world. So how you show up is I'm interested in you. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to understand what you want. And then I want to help you if I can. And if I can't, I'll be the first to tell you. So tell me about Vancouver back in, that was in the early 90s is when you were really working real estate hard. And how is it different today than it was back then? Or is it just a, I don't know, different time and, and really the issues are the same? You know, it's interesting because in the early 90s, we were going through a really fast, active, upward moving market. And I remember sitting in cars at midnight because we would go physically present offers and you got to line up when they were doing multiple offers. So some similarities now with technology, people aren't really sitting in front, which I don't know if is a good or a bad thing, because if you're good at connecting with people, listening to people, convincing people, I think in person works better. So again, I don't think, I think Vancouver has just become now an international city. So our volumes are bigger, our dollars are bigger, therefore there's more players in it after, you know, the business. In terms of at the time, you know, the opportunity, I bought a condo in, right when I came here, it was a condo conversion. And I remember telling my parents who lived in Saskatchewan at the time, I said, you know, buying this condo, it's $42,000. And they just about, they were shocked. They said, you can't buy that condo. And I went, yeah, I'm going to, because I think it's great. You know, I look back now and laugh. I wish I'd have bought 10. The reality is Vancouver has always been a very desirable city to live in. One of the reasons I think we're seeing what's happening in the market today and the prices just continue to escalate without any explanation, no economic fundamentals and many situations is that it's it's now on the world stage and people love to come here it's a beautiful city to live in and that's what's that's what's coming here they're buying our properties because they want to be here so when you were back then you bought that forty two thousand dollar condo had you started investing back like were you an investor right out of the gate or because gosh i know so many realtors who've been realtors for a long time and gosh you know i actually know a couple that don't even own their own home and yet they're very successful selling real estate. 
were you always of the mindset that I'm going to start buying and investing in real estate or for a while were you just selling and that was kind of the end game and then you morphed and evolved into investing in real estate? I always needed to own something. Um, I learned that from my parents. You didn't have mortgages. You owned your stuff. You didn't leverage. I mean, they they had old ways. They grew up in the depression, so their attitude was much different. I think being from a farm, there was the you know the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly sometimes. So they didn't really like debt, but they always encouraged us to buy and and invest in things so we had something for a rainy day. So, you know, I bought this to live in first condo. I was 24 years old. You know, I had to do just about everything to get a mortgage because I really, you know, my, my job was new. It was a lot different environment, much higher interest rates. But, you know, again, I think just from the get-go, my whole attitude towards ownership and having assets and, you know, growing, you know, saving a third of what you make, you should be saving. And I find it quite shocking today. And I think, um, if people really thought about it, the amount of money we spend on cell phones and coffees and, you know, just think about it. Just start doing your budget as a young person, particularly, and start figuring out ways that you don't need to spend that much money. Put that money to work. The sooner you do it, even if it's $200 a month as a young person, it really adds up. Well, that's the old adage of a dollar saved is in fact a dollar earned. So being conscious of the dollars and where they go is an, an important part of creating wealth and you know maintaining cash flow. <laughs> you know, keeping keeping exactly. a cushion in the bank in the bank account. So you got into the world of real estate. You started buying real estate. You started investing in real estate. And as things morphed and changed with the market, you know, it would seem that it was all roses. You know, all all cool and all winning, winning, winning. What's some of the adversities that you faced? Give me a couple examples of the worst adversities that you faced along your journey and how you got through them, Cynthia. So the worst adversities would you buy a property, it doesn't cash flow. So you you know, you have to fund that. It doesn't go away. You know, Patrick, you, you know, you've experienced that. So you have to figure out a way to either work through that program so that you can afford to carry. So the more properties you have, you obviously have to figure out a way to manage those effectively because you're going to go through those times when the cash flow is not there and the amount of cost of ownership is greater than the cash flow. It happens. If someone tells me they bought a bunch of real estate and it's never happened, I don't know that I'd believe them. Um, you know, I bought early on in Fort McMurray. You can imagine the volatility in that market. So I always say energy hubs are volatile markets. Be prepared to weather some of the ups and downs. When they're great, when they're good, they're absolutely phenomenal. When they're bad, they can be pretty ugly. So I've bought in energy hubs, but I tended to balance my where I bought so the cash flows would kind of neutralize one another. Um, I refinanced. You know, I would go and take penalties and refinance to get into different structures that allowed me to reduce the amount I had to pay. In terms of business, you know, we're seeing it right now in our industry. Mortgage rules are tightening. I sell investment real estate. You're in a real estate investor. You get to a certain number of properties. It's very difficult for you to qualify. So from my business, I have to look strategically, what do I do to make a difference? So that's why we've moved into the limited partnership structure and raising equity. And that which allows people to have an opportunity to invest in some really good markets uh, that they normally wouldn't be able to price the fact that, you know, they can't qualify for mortgages. So that's that's how I do it from a, a business perspective. But on a personal level, I mean, I just really manage my portfolio to make sure that I'm mitigating my interest rate risk by not having all my mortgages coming due at the same time, by floating some, by extending some. So I just I manage the cash flow. So you've been a, a busy entrepreneur for a number of years. You have three children and you're a working mom. Uh, did, or did you take time off to have the kids or did you just continue working? What was that for you? Well, it's a funny story. Um, my first child, I took more time off because I was, you know, there were, I just, I was younger and uh, my, my, my second two children I had older. I was in my late thirties and, um, you know, I was raising money for a developer in Texas and we were doing office conversions into residential in Dallas, Texas. And I had my daughter six weeks early. <laughs> and honestly, I, I remember my mother coming out because I called her and said, you know, you're going to really need to come out and help me. I got to finish this race. I was the person responsible to finish the race. So my daughter was literally under my desk in a bassinet 
you know, I figured, well, in the first first three months, they just sleep. They sleep and eat. And I don't want, I'll just put her here. My mom was just like, what are you doing? I'm coming out to save you. And she did, which was wonderful. So strong family, um, very supportive, but very understanding as well. So lots of help from my parents in terms of raising my children. Uh, they came out when I needed them and they supported me because they don't live where I live, but they certainly spent time coming, traveling back and forth. You know, the kids, I think, benefit from you. I stayed at home, worked out of a home office for, you know, when my kids were in their uh, middle school and high school, just so I was home because I felt that was important. And I worked out of a home office and they knew the rules and it may, we worked through it. And I could work flexibility. Again, talking about being in an industry that allows you some flexibility. I actually could work two hours at night making calls and on a Saturday morning to make up for times during the week. And I went and saw their basketball games and their volleyball games. And I enjoyed my kids growing up as well. So I, I really liked that part of my life in terms of what I was able to do with this career in real estate. When you look at your at this point in your life, you've achieved what you you've achieved. When you reflect on some of the adversity you faced, can you actually look back and say, "Man, I had to go through that to get to where I am today. I had to go through that to learn and and to actually create the resilience or to develop the skills that I have today." Do you see the benefits in in all of the adversity you faced and the work work ethic that you had to pull out of your you know like really pull up your socks to achieve? Absolutely. I think adversity builds character. It tells people who you are, um, how you handle adversity. It will change the way you look at people, your empathy towards people, how you treat them. It just creates some some bandwidth in terms of your personality. I love the fact that I have three kids. I've learned a tremendous amount from them and they've helped me. And hopefully, you know, I've encouraged and influenced them to go on and have successful lives and careers. As I've gotten to know you over the past couple of years, I mean, there's no doubt that you show up as a very powerful woman. You you do a wonderful job. You're attentive. You look after your clients. You do all those things. But in a, in an industry, if if for the female, for the women listeners, is there some guidance that you would give them? Is there some advice that you would share with women that are in the industry? And I'm going to go to the other side and ask a different question. But let's just start with that one first. Is if you're if you got you know if we've got some. Uh, female listeners who are in the world of investing in real estate, maybe as a realtor, maybe just as an investor, uh, supporting uh, a spouse, if that's the case. Is there any advice that you would give them, Cynthia? Don't be afraid to be a woman. Don't be afraid to show what I feel is the side of women that is different than men. I think when I started in my career, I was always trying to to push that down, to, to not make it apparent. I was as strong as a man. I could do anything, you know, in terms of I had as much smarts. I could do what they could do. You don't need to do what they do. You need to be who you are. You need to show up, as you said. You need to care. You need to have empathy. You need to do things that I believe women intuitively do versus, you know, that's that's their caring. That's their mother nurturing. It's, it's natural. And I'm not saying men aren't like that, but I think that Women sometimes try to suppress it and show that they can compete alongside, or at least when I started my career, I did that. So hopefully it's grown and it's evolved. I see a lot more women in most industries, and I see a lot more women doing very, very well. So I think we've, we've come a long way. But I, I would that would be my biggest advice. Be who you are. Enjoy your children. Enjoy your family. Don't be, you know, make clear that you are making time for everything and everybody. I think you gain a lot of respect from people that work with you. This may be a little bit of a curveball, and it's not intended. It's just listen. This is just conversation. But I'm I'm wondering from your perspective, and the question just came to me is, if you were giving men advice in your industry of how to work with women, is there anything that shows up for you that you see as a you know a pattern or something that you just go, gosh, if men would just get their head out of their ass and they would they would be surrounded with really powerful women. Like, is there is there something that shows up for you in that conversation? I've worked with a lot of men. I think that it, it typically it's just the gender and, and it, it is age driven. So the older the, the men, it's just a natural. They've grown up like that. Their attitude and their characteristics towards it have been, you know, this is how it is. The younger men are definitely more open. You don't really feel there's any gender you know, differences. They listen to you. They talk to you. So I do think older men tend to have certain biases. Uh, I would suggest that 
they consider the person talking to them as their peer versus, you know, this person works for me or with me. Um, I just, I, I find that sometimes I don't, they're not treating me like a peer. It's, I'm discounted a bit. So it just be aware of that. Um, not, I don't think they do it intentionally. I think that, um, you know, I, I, I have a father that's very much grown up in a different era and how I know he totally respects my mother and loves her and everything else, but the way he talks to her and with her uh, is is different than younger men today because of he went through a different time. That's all. You work closely with Janet LePage, and she's been on the podcast, and we've had a great interview with Janet, and, and she's just a fired up young lady who is, uh, well, I say young, she's certainly mature. She's a mom. She just wants to accomplish it all. And there's a quality of Janet that I also, that you have, that she has, that I think women in the women who have achieved as much as they achieve, uh, have. And, and, and do you think there's a place where you're just trying to prove it to men? Are you just like, and I don't want to make this, this, this podcast and this conversation isn't about, I want to hear from a woman's point of view, just how you approach business, how you approach an industry. And is there something that you can share is there something that you're trying to prove? Is that part of what drives you or, or what's your mindset around that? I think, I think it's raising the bar. Don't be like everybody else. Think about things that are different and that are better that make people that work with you happier. And I think Janet, I, I mean, Janet is a powerhouse in the sense that she has so much energy, so much ambition, so many so much intelligence and it's, it's social intelligence as well. So she builds cultures, she builds communities. She really engages the entire program. I mean, thank you for even putting me in the same category as Janet. I, I just look at her, I highly respect her capabilities and very proud that she's a woman. It's, it's lovely. I, I love that. I see women like Janet coming along. Um, it means that people like me that have gone into these industries and worked hard and tried to break barriers, it's working. That's what it shows me. Um, I'm not out to prove anyone right or wrong. I'm out to raise bars and make sure that, you know, everything I do is done with the purpose of impacting people's lives in a positive way. Period. The end. Full stop. Now, you started your boutique shop IRR three years ago. You're working closely with Taylor Steele. Um, He's much younger. He's a young man, very fired up. He's a great, great guy. We've had him on our stage at the at Rain a couple of different times. And what was the? Why did you go that direction? What was the intention of IRR and 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 what you're trying to build out? And and even and even as a young man having a, a young guy as a partner, what is that right. part of your I mentorship mean, I, I strategy? Mean- Yes, absolutely. Uh, Dave Steele is a close friend of mine. I've worked with Dave for the past 25, 30 years, um, worked through selling real estate developments that he's done. So I know Dave very, very well. Um, All of us like to believe, like our group of people that we hang with, love to believe that we can help each other's kids. It's hard to have your, your child work for you and be professional and help them. So, you know, it was kind of a strategy. It came up. It was an opportunity. Sometimes timing is everything. Uh, Dave was launching his company, Western Canadian Properties Group. So I got very involved because I liked where he was. I liked what the opportunity was, saw the benefits. So I got involved with that company early on uh, when they started up in Northeast BC. Uh, Taylor was coming out of BCIT. Great. Awesome. I mean, he's, he's a, in my mind, a, a Janet in the making. He's got all the capabilities with the right mentorship and the right, and I'm not saying I'm the only one. I encourage him to go and, and work with business coaches and everything else so that he can grow his business. But, you know, there's certain characteristics you can't teach and ambition is one of them. You can't teach ambition. People are either ambitious or they're not. And what I, and I think when I raised my children, I tried to teach them, give them they want the need to be ambitious because ambition will take you a long, long, long way in life. So tell me a little bit about IRR. Uh, what is it that you do as a boutique shop? I mean, I know that you're working closely with Dave Steele and that team in terms of the LPs and the opportunities that presents to people. But uh, what else is IRR involved in and what is the, what's the model that you're trying to build out or that you are building out? No trying. Um, our goal is to, as I've said, put real estate as a part of everyone's financial portfolio, help people build wealth, buying real estate, um, to do it safely, effectively, and with as least risk as you can. There's always risk in everything, but, you know, teaching them 
how to do their own due diligence and how they, people have three things. They have time, they have money, and they have peace of mind. And for everyone, that's different. So I try to match those three characteristics with what I'm offering to them after having a meeting with them so that I understand where they want to go. And, you know, for those that are risk averse, you have to find investments that work for them. So I have other uh, developers and, and different investment options, mortgage investment corporations, different structures that can fit in. But, you know, working with um, Western Wealth Capital, which is also Janet LePage and Dave Steele, we're very, very busy. And I like the reason I've chosen to partner with these two companies is I they do a lot to find those good investments. It's not what they do before. It's what they do after for my clients. And as an advisor, I'm working with new people all the time. I need to know after my clients buy that they're getting ex- excellent um, reporting, transparency, and obviously great returns. And, and these two companies deliver this in spades. So when you look at how you show up for your clients, it really is, there's a lot of leadership that you are providing your clients. Is, is that how you approach it? Is, is it you're going to be guide leader or are you just a service provider? Like how, what's your, what's your, cause you've, you've done a lot of work. You've, you've got a number of clients. You've had a lot of success over your years. What's your approach to working with investors? Because you're also excellent at raising capital. That's all part of it. So how are you approaching investor? What's on your mind when you're busy raising busy? capital and um, doing stuff? We're raising capital, but in that process, we meet new people. So we run four educational workshops each year. We try to bring content and deliver educational, teaching people how to assess and understand the real estate investments, either the buy and hold strategy, the rental programs, you know, what they need to look at in terms of buying, in terms of mortgage structures, are there tax effective ways? So we try to teach people and help them connect them with an expert network. And Rain is a, a great, great resource. Uh, I refer lots of people to Rain. Um, go and get educated. Feel comfortable. Again, it's a peace of mind side of things. Go get comfortable and understand what you're doing. Then you'll make decisions knowing what you're doing, first and foremost. I always tell people, I'll give them the agreements that they're signing. If you don't come back with 10 questions, I really don't know that I want you as my client. No one loves your money more than you do. And I think that if people really took the time to understand what they're buying and understood and knew the people they were working with and did homework, there's, it's not that hard today with all the technology to actually find out a lot about the people you're working with. And then, you know, take the time to set up your own plan, make a plan. And again, using the RAIN network allows me to connect them with people that can help them build that plan. So when you're raising capital, are you of the belief or are you of the understanding? Because I will often coach and teach is that often newer investors, when they're into the mode of raising capital, which inevitably happens, some have to start that way because they are really interested in investing in real estate, but have no capital. And those are there's others, of course, that they buy some properties and they get a little bit of experience under their belt and then they themselves run out of capital. And eventually, if you're going to grow a portfolio and get into the world of of uh, really taking you know the, the knowledge that you have and the lessons and growing a portfolio, you have to have other people's capital. Are you really seeing that in your experience that ultimately people are investing in you, not the project? They are because of how we present it. So in terms of we present the properties based on the economic fundamentals. So we do a lot of homework and we provide all that research, access to all that research and everything to our clients. And all the pro formas, everything that we do to get to this is why it's a good investment is accessible to the people that invest with us. So there are some that go through everything, have lots of questions, which great. They're taking the time. I've worked with some people now for 20 years. They're still my clients. So they've done this before. They're not going to go deep dive into something because they absolutely trust me and they've worked with me before. So that's you know part of being in the business a long time. One of the reasons I did start Investment Revenue Realty is that it's taken a long time to get a program, a system, a way to deliver um, the information to attract investors. And I didn't want to just stop working and then that was done. 
I really want to see this grow, and I believe it will under the leadership of Taylor. And, you know, we keep adding new people to to start growing the company more. Um, it, it certainly, to me, has been a life-learning project for me. And now I feel we've evolved it to a point where I am very comfortable standing up in front of a room telling people that the investments I'm offering have covered, we've covered all the bases. And more, more importantly, they should feel comfortable doing it by looking into what we can provide them in terms of research. So when I see you present from stage or when I'm having conversations with you, what I notice is that a lot of your credibility comes from number one, your knowledge, but how you show up. And so if you're giving somebody that's trying to raise capital, some guidance, some advice, who's just starting out, is there a top one tip, two th- tips, three that you might give them that's saying, if you're just starting out raising capital, here's some things that you need to be aware of or need to consider? Right. Um, so you got to know who you're going to talk to before you walk in the door. Understand what their key objectives are or why they even would consider it. So if they're busy and they don't really have a lot of time, scale down your proposal so it covers a, you know, a really good snapshot, hits the high level quickly, and then do a follow-up. So there's just different ways. There's those four types of people. There's the drivers, there's the expressives, there's the analyticals, there's the amiables. So at the end of the day, you have to understand who you're going to talk to and tailor your presentation to it. But also have a full sort of process. I'm going to show you this. We're going to talk about this. Set an agenda before you go into the meeting. Ask for the amount of time you need to deliver a proper presentation. Don't go if you don't get enough time. And, and you know, just really be clear that you're there to do business. Actually, uh, respect your own time. You got to drive out there. You got to go make the presentation and, and do a reasonably professional presentation. Have all the numbers, you know, presented in a way that meets and matches the person that you're meeting with. If there's a, an, an engineer analytic that's come in with the pro formas, come in with all the papers, show them everything, you know, more information, the better. They'll, they'll basically bond with you a lot faster than if you come in with, I mean, I have doctor clients that literally have five minutes to look at it and make a decision. So I better have a one pager. It's just know who you're presenting to and come in, you know, well-prepared for that presentation, get enough time that you need to talk to them, and then always have an agenda before you go into the meeting and then a follow-up. I'm go- we're going to meet, then I'm going to go away, and I'm going to come back. I never walk into a meeting saying, I know what you want on a first meet. We're going to have a discussion about what you want, and then I'm going to come back for a second meeting. So, you know, I do a two-step process, minimum. Sometimes it's three steps. How much training have you done in sales training? What what other training have you done, Cynthia, over the years that kind of stands out that's been beneficial to you? Because we can either do one of two things. We can we can fake it till we make it. We can keep bumping up against the wall and we can learn the hard way and you know talk to a hundred people and finally get a you know, get a handle on it. We can get some sales training that would maybe take us to the next round. What what did you do in the background? I did every sales training program that I could get my hands on. Effective coach, strategic coach, uh, Tony Robbins. I mean, I listened to all of that over and over and over again. Dale Carnegie uh, went through their program. I think going to these uh, programs and learning them and doing them forces you to elevate your own game. And if you, if you don't do that, you, you know, the live, the learning approach you know, you're going to fail a lot. And I, I find that's just a slow way. So invest in you, invest in your business, which is if you're going to start raising capital, invest in learning how to do that. Invest in reaching out to the people that are a good target. So we will find a trade show that I'm going to be talking to, you know, and uh, doctors, lawyers, I, whoever I want to talk to, I'll invest to go and be present. And then I'll have something that speaks to that audience when I'm standing there. How important has it been to you to learn public speaking? I mean, you didn't start out on a stage. I mean, it evolved. I think it probably just evolved. Or did you just jump into the fire right from the beginning? Have you always been comfortable on stage? Or was that a learned skill? Because you're you're quite good on stage these days. How was it in the past? Did you take training? What was it for you? Well, I did the Dale Carnegie. I didn't, I think it really what's happened is I've presented a lot and I've become a lot more comfortable. But knowing your, what you're delivering, 
and practicing and making a point of being passionate about what you deliver. Like, you know, it doesn't just happen. We, you know, I plan what I'm going to say and I spend a lot of time on the content that I feel comfortable that I can deliver that I'm knowledgeable on. So that's a big part of being able to stand up in front of a stage and talk fluently and not have to, you know, have a scripted, stilted approach. I know this stuff and I've practiced it, so I'm ready to deliver it. What about as the leader? I mean, you you are a great leader. You're known as a leader, but are you conscious of it? Like, did you actually, because some people I, I find as I'm coaching so many individuals that they're not really aware or they don't intentionally develop themselves as leader. It's just kind of morphs and I am the way I am and, and that's how it is. Were you that way or were you very focused on developing great leadership skills and learning about leadership and how you show up as a leader? I wouldn't say that I was consciously going to be a leader. I think that I've always been, I have never been a follower. If people wanted to do something and I didn't agree with it, I didn't do it. So I, I believe that I've always had a passion about where I want to go and I followed the path I want to get there. That is just a characteristic. That's my personality. Um, in terms of building leadership skills, I think I have a lot to learn in that capacity. And, you know, I am now taking more time to focus on how do I build, tailor my company and be the leader that I need to get them to grow the company. You know, we've got pretty big goals this year. And um, to get there, I need to be a really strong leader. What's some of the practice that you have in terms of how do you look after yourself? Do you have a morning routine, an evening routine? Are you a writer? Or are you, do you hit the gym? What kind of a, what kind of a practice do you have for looking after yourself? Um, in the morning, I'll get up early and just read a lot of different news articles. Uh, you, you know, time is very much constrained now because of the business, but I do I do try to take morning time that I'm fresh and I'm, you know, more actively mental. Uh, in the afternoon, I love yoga. Uh, I'm pretty much a yoga fanatic, so I'm out there six or seven times a week doing yoga. Um, I used to do the gym. I used to run. I did a, triathlons. I, I, I have done it in the past, but now uh, I've pretty much just do the yoga, love the mental, the calming, the inward, the calm, and, and, and just the whole practice of yoga. It really has helped me settle uh, into you know, being able to work hard and enjoy life and to actually reflect. And as I said, I think my biggest next growth for me personally is leadership. Your kids, you got three children. Are are they all girls or you got a son? What, what's the mix there? My son is the oldest yeah. um, and he works with me. I wanted him to come on the sales side, but he's definitely a tech person. So he does most of the back end, all of our marketing campaigns and anything to do with our, our contact, our client relation manager. So he's big on that, loves it, very good at it. Um, my daughter is an audio engineer and she's a graduate from Nimbus, which is a fairly specialized school for audio engineering. And my youngest is still in university and she's on a volleyball scholarship. So forensic science, uh, she's the, we call her the academe in our, our family and, uh, still doesn't know what she wants to do, but, uh, doing very, very well in school and volleyball. How do you define success, Cynthia? Success is getting up every day, feeling really good about what you're doing and where you're going and being able to enjoy your life for the small pleasures, having dinner with your children, going for a nice walk around the seawall, loving that the fact that we live in Canada, which is a very stable, nice, beautiful part of the world to live in and being very, very grateful that uh, we've had, I've, I was born here. Honestly, I, I feel that way every day. I look around all the stuff that's happening around the world, and I, I think that, that I was lucky and fortunate enough to, to be born in Canada. What's been your biggest failure that turned out to be a blessing in disguise? Do you have one of those? Ah, I mean, I think we all do. Um, I, I can only say that um, worked with the developer, a decent relationship with this developer in terms of, you know, they'd done projects with them. And then, you know, the market's good when you're buying a trailer park in a floodplain and you're actually saying to yourself and they're convincing you that it's going to work. So that's been a make work project. Uh, what it really has shown me is that if you get involved, even if it's bad, 
if you get involved and you try to help and you can help and you're instrumental in making change to a bad situation, you will gain a lot of uh, very happy or not happy, but you will gain a lot of allegiance from the clients that you've helped out. You've achieved success. You've got a growing business. You've, you've, you've done a lot in your life. And was there a tipping point for you where it really, your business went to a new level or your life went to a whole new level? Was there some place, a fork in the road? I think when my, my last child went to university, when Kirsten went to university, I kind of woke up one morning and went, you know, I'm now sort of given the time of working from home and, you know, doing reasonably well um, at my career. And I really wanted to to grow it. And I had started Investment Revenue Realty mainly because I wanted to be able to select the developers that I work with and not just be part of a group that there was a committee selection process. That was one of the big drivers. Uh, one of the reasons when we bought the trailer park or, or marketed the trailer park in, in uh, a floodplain that I decided, you know, no, I want to be much more involved. So th- that evolved into investment revenue royalty. Dave, as I mentioned, Steele and I partnered up to to really launch the Northeast BC uh, properties. And, and that was, you know, just timing. And we connected after probably 10 years of not really you know, talking or, or being around uh, any of our businesses together. And then Taylor came into the phrase. So then I just really sat there and thought, okay, if I'm going to do this, I am going to make it bigger and better. And I'm going to make it into leaving my legacy in terms of building a business that allows it to grow into an actually very viable business. So as I mentioned, our goals and our uh, objectives are fairly big in the next five years. Um, and then, you know, hopefully by that point, I take a much more silent partner role and, and Taylor carries on, carries the torch and, and we've built a really good boutique real estate investment brokerage. Does retirement show up for you? What does retirement look like? Is it on a rocking chair on a porch somewhere? Is it traveling the world? Is it, you know, oceans and mountains? Or do you have a vision for what you want to do? As in, And I, I don't know if retirement's the right word, but that's what it is. We've had conversation around that. And everyone says, when are you going to retire? And, and I go, well, you know, I love what I do. I really do. Uh, I'm happy doing it. Uh, I'm not the type of person that would retire on a rocking chair. I have to admit, Patrick, I don't see if you talk to anyone that knows me, they would say, no, Cynthia's not going to do that. Let's just get her to stop working so much. So I think that the goal for me is to ease into retirement, start taking more time off, passing the reins off to you know the tailor, the, the people that are working for me, and then taking time where I'm not connected to the business, not driving what's happening. And that, I think, over the next two years is my game plan. Take more time where you're not part of it. Let them see what they're going to do. And if they fail, that's probably good. They'll grow from it, just like I did. In terms of retirement, I think I, I do see travel. I want to say grandchildren, enjoying them, being able to enjoy them. I want to say that I will have a hand in a business. I will be doing something that will be positively impacting someone. Uh, I can't really say what that is. Is it going in, you know, working with poor uh, other countries, developing countries to help them? I don't know. But I certainly think I'm not going to retire and just, you know, sit in a rocking chair or golf. That's just not me. So being a contribution is a big part of how you just have always been built by the sounds of it, you know, the mentorship being mentored, but also mentoring, especially at this point in your life and going forward, you know, throughout the conversation today, we've talked about even IRR and what you've done in your life is always being a contribution, supporting others. Success seems to be what you do. How important is the environment that you create and that you're creating even in, in IRR that supports success? Like, do you, do you see creating an environment we talk a lot about it on the rain stage about creating an environment for success. How are you being supported? How is the culture of the business that you're building? What is the actual physical environment you're in? Are you working out of the basement of your house or are you creating a, a nicer environment? So how, how important is environment to success from your perspective, Cynthia? I think environment's everything. You come into work, you like coming you like the people that are around you. You're happy. You're communicating. I want open door policy. I want to reward people for a job well done, whether that's, you know, 
monetary, whether that's time off, whether that's just recognition. I mean, you have to understand there's no I in team. I mean, things don't happen with one person. If they do, it's a lot of work. So I think building a strong team is recognition. It's supporting. It's allowing them to grow. It's asking them where do they want to be in five years and helping them get there. And understanding how they can be an integral part of your business is is knowing that, not hiring people on the basis that, you know, they're the right fit at the, right now, but we don't know what they want to do. You need to understand people, people's objectives as well. People that work for you are part of who you are. They're an extension of you. So if they're happy, then clients will feel better. It'll be a, a completely different experience than if you're just working people for the benefit of, of making money. How clear are you on your strengths? How well do you know yourself? Are you Have you come to realize that there's just certain things that you cannot spend your time on because it's not the best use of your time and you'll blow it up anyways? Did you learn those lessons early on or has it taken you some time to evolve into a place where you're going, man, oh man, I, I got it. This is dumb. It took me. It took me a long time to. I think it's like the last three years. Like you know, I just I used to do everything. I had to do everything. I was the best at doing everything. You know, you're just a, a, a perfectionist, and it was ridiculous because the stuff I was spending time on wasn't really productive. It just took up time, didn't really make a difference, and all and caused a lot more stress for me. So I've had to really let go and accept that things don't have to be perfect evolve and let other people show me that what they would do and and be open-minded about it and let it go. Just let it go. Be who you are. Talk about, you know, because the the strengths, what happens then is all the strengths that you can bring, which are the energy, the passion, the commitment, the delivery, everything that they can learn from you really becomes more, they're learning it from you. And that's what they need to learn because really connecting with people, raising capital, selling real estate, doing any kind of people burst business, which is what we're in, requires that that more than it does the back end, the accounting, the administration, the CRM, you know, all of that, hire that out, let people design it for you, be very specific with what you need, but let it go. And I, I it's taken me a long time to learn that. I, I did, before I started IRR, the one year I remember I did 85 ends in terms of a real estate ends and I did everything. Mm. That's, that's busy. So I literally yeah. worked. I literally worked eighty hours a week for I don't know months, and it was ridiculous. At the end of it, I was just like, "Why did I do that? Why did I do that?" Again, that that I was older, Patrick too. So it was like <laughs> I learned it young. Yeah, it's interesting. Is that um, sometimes the things more if you just get into the patterns that you're doing. If I've learned nothing else, especially over the past 10, 15 years. It's you have to stop every so often to take a look at what you're doing and and really question all the things that you're doing. And a, a big realization for me in the past three or four years was in in the administration that I just had going on in my life, not even realizing I was getting caught up on it. I've always had a good team of people doing things and supporting me and all the rest of it. But then I got a very specific EA and... I had no idea how much I was caught up in the micromanaging of my day from booking appointments to, you know, getting meetings set up between two or three people, which is like herding cats. And Mm -hmm. I was just in it. And, you know, it's interesting that since I got an EA and that kind of support, that administrative support, I'm not any less busy, but man, oh man, am I doing a whole different set of tasks? Do I ever get to really sink my teeth into the business that I want to do and not be distracted with everything from booking flights to hotels to arranging meetings? So that was a big lesson for me, but holy cow, can you ever go down that rabbit hole fast? Highest, best use. I'll leave you with that because that's what it's all about. Always. And that doesn't just apply to real estate. It applies to every business. And and what I've put into our company is quarterly meetings. Let's look at what we've done, what's worked, what hasn't, and where are the financial results. That has really helped really, really. It's a catalyst. It's a catalyst for growth. And it ha- we have to do it religiously. You know, when the concept for the Everyday Millionaire came up, it was about really built off of seemingly ordinary people achieving extraordinary results. And as I'm speaking with you today and we're having this conversation, there's so much that you've provided me for insights. It's it's a confirmation of 
things that I've done myself, but it's also to share with listeners that so much to learn out of these conversations. I mean, I look at what it's taken me 35 years to learn sometimes and I'm going, don't do it my way. Do you find that with Taylor or somebody? Yes. Yeah. Because yes, of, I do. Yeah. I mean, and I'm very much into, would you please get the systems behind you? Yeah. You don't need to do this. I know it's easy and I know that you're, cause you're driven and you're passionate and you want it done, which is all good characteristics. We can't teach those. I don't want to, I don't want to suppress those, but I want to show him, don't do what I did. Let me help you get through. It took me 20 years. Let me get you through it in two. Yeah. Then you're really going to see the power. The highest, best use. I mean, I'm very familiar with that, but what you just tapped into is you do a, some kind of a quarterly check-in where you're going, okay, let's, let's take a look at highest, best use. And so there's a constant check-in with it because as I've learned over the years, man, you can just all of a sudden be in it and not even realize how it isn't the highest, best use of your time, your energy, your money even. And uh, so a really good heads up on that one. Yeah, perfect. Okay, as we wind the show down, Cynthia, I mean, we could talk on forever, but what's some profound wisdom that you'd want to share? Is there, is there a, a real point, if you're talking to a number of real estate investors, which this podcast happens to get delivered to a lot of real estate investors, you know, as somebody with the experience you have as both a realtor, as an investor yourself, is there something that you would say if, if to encourage a real estate investor to grow their portfolio or grow their business? What would you share with them? Get a really clear plan around what you can do right now, where you want to take it. Like, make sure that plan takes advantage of your skills. Really get someone to, you know, get outside opinions on what are your skills. Get someone that knows you well and has seen you operate. Have them tell you and then develop a plan that you can grow. You know, some people choose to do things and they don't either develop a network to help them with the parts they can't do, but they're not even doing something that they should be doing. So it's really that plan part at the beginning. Sit down and make a clear one-year three-year, five-year plan, and then what are what are the metrics that you're going to do to measure success? I don't care what those metrics are. Obviously, if you need to make money, you better have some metric in how much is it costing you to make money, both time, back to your time, and how much physical money you're spending. And then figure out if you can cash flow what your your goals are. Because it's easier to get partners when you have a well-thought-out plan and it makes sense and the partners believe you because they know you because typically people go to the people that they know or they're introduced by people to someone, but people that you know are your first circles. So if you're going to start your real estate investment business and you want to develop the reputation so that you can go and grow it, because we all know we're going to need partners if we want to grow it, make sure that you're developing a plan that is saleable, that you can manage and that you can grow. Thanks for that, Cynthia. That's great. It did remind me that you are an REIA. You're part of the Real Estate Investment Advisor Initiative. You're a coach with and for RAIN members. And so I heard in that, that that's some guidance that you have to give people on an ongoing basis is what I heard in that. And I, that's just my story I'm making up, but yeah. would that be the case? Yes. Yeah. I send them a questionnaire. If they call me, I say, first of all, I need to know, give me 10, you know, tell me what, who you are, what you've done, what you want to do, and how realistic it is in your own words. And if you need to go and talk to someone else, find out because it's important that you understand that before developing something that's never going to be attainable. Okay, so we're going to keep winding the show down a little bit and it's been a great conversation. I like always to finish the show with just some rapid fire questions. You ready to go to work? Yep. What's your favorite swear word? You don't want to know. Damn. Damn. Oh, come on. Really? Okay, <laughs> fine. I'll take your word for it. I, I just so don't think that's true. Do you have a Do you have a favorite quote? Do you have a favorite inspirational quote that comes to mind that you can bring to mind? Um, I would say that live every day like it's your last day. Hmm. Good one. If you weren't doing this, was there another profession you'd want to attempt? I would have my own business. Probably it would be investment oriented. Brokerage would be, yeah, I'd be in some form of investment uh, side of the business. What's the top book that you've read or top books, one 
two, three books and or that you read or that you've read and that you would gift? The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm, love that one. On a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? One to ten. I'm going to say I'm a seven. Okay, that's not, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I often get 11s, but I've had a couple of people go three. You know, they don't see themselves as weird as all, and they at all. And uh, so that's cool. Seven's good. There's a, another trick question, okay, around on a rating system that I've just recently learned. And that is on a scale of one to seven, how weird are one to 10? How weird are you, but you can't pick seven? Oh, how weird am I? 10. Ah, see, you went I'm to the high 11. side. You went to the high side. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm weirder. Okay. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? Room. Environment. Goes back to what you talked about earlier. Favorite tune. Do you have one? This girl's on fire. Alicia Keys. <laughs> that, that would be appropriate. Got it. What about your favorite movie, Cynthia? Margaret's Museum. It's a very good Canadian movie. Well done. Oh, cool. Margaret's Museum. Okay. I'm going to make a note of that. What are you grateful for? I am grateful for having been born in Canada. I am grateful for three healthy children. I am grateful for the people that I work with. I am grateful for a great mom and dad. And I'm very grateful that they're still very healthy, happy, and involved. Wow. This is actually my favorite part of the show. I love that. That's a great list of uh, things to be grateful for. Lots of gratitude in that. I'm grateful to have you on the show. I'm grateful to know you and uh, have been working with you a little bit in behind the scenes and what you bring to just not only my life, but also to the Real Estate Investment Network. And Cynthia, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again in the very near future. Lots of great insights that you've shared and I appreciate the wisdom that you've uh, brought to the show. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. Really enjoyed it and uh, love working with the Rain Group and, and have really gotten to know you over the last few years and it's been a great journey. Thanks, Cynthia. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.